Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Wait 5 Minutes, the Floridian podcast. I'm Nick D'Alessandro. It's been a long week since we've talked. Our little state has faced all sorts of changes in just seven days. That's how it is around here. With so much to cover, from Jacksonville to the midterms to the featured story of the week, we'd better get started. A little warning up front, I'm going to talk about gun violence for just a minute or so. If you'd like to skip ahead a minute, I totally understand. Last Sunday, a gunman fired at a Madden video game tournament in Jacksonville, killing two of his competitors in the tournament. Eleven additional people were injured from the attack. The gunman is the third dead victim from a self-inflicted wound. When the report came from the news initially, sites were saying five dead, including the shooter. Thus, the incident fell initially into the definition of a mass shooting, as Congress defines a mass shooting as, quote, three or more killings in a single incident, unquote. When the body count fell, so did the statistic, and the conversation fell out of the public view. Our Attorney General, Pam Bondi, who will be leaving that position shortly as her term limit is up, went on to say the shooting was caused by, quote-unquote, violent video games. This unnecessarily diverted the conversation away from the actual topic at hand. The gunman himself was actually able to purchase his guns legally, according to the Washington Post, despite his multiple stints in mental health institutions, and also despite the fact that his mother reports the police being called to their house due to his actions nearly two dozen times. Maryland, where he purchased his weapons, doesn't bar you from purchasing a gun if you've been in a mental health institution unless it's involuntary and lasted at least 30 days. All right, on to local politics. This Tuesday, Floridians came out and voted in several elections. We now have confirmed candidates in many different races. For the Senate, we have Republican Governor Rick Scott running against Democrat Senator Bill Nelson. For Attorney General, the Democratic candidate is Sean Shaw, and the Republican candidate is Ashley Moody. For Agriculture Commissioner, the Democrat is Nikki Freed, and the Republican is Matt Caldwell. Along with several state amendments and a couple dozen state and federal representative races, the general election on November 6th will be a big one for Florida. But the most notable race was who would be our candidates for governor. Now, thankfully, we have an answer. For the Democrats, the majority of their votes went to Andrew Gillum, the 39-year-old progressive who is currently serving as mayor of Tallahassee. He won the majority of the votes in counties that contain every major city in Florida, including Tallahassee, Jacksonville, Tampa, Orlando, West Palm Beach, and Miami. With Democrats voting at 1.5 million voters, Gillum took 34.3%, with Gwen Graham trailing right behind with 31.3%, and Philip Levine taking third with 20.3%. This was a huge upset, as many pollsters just a few weeks ago put Gillum in fourth. His last-minute surge brought him right up to the front. In his victory speech, Gillum talked about his upbringing and his hardworking parents. He echoed many of the things said by Senator Bernie Sanders when the senator was running for president, with Gillum saying things to the effect of this race not being about him, but about you, the people of Florida. He talked about the environment, health care, minimum wage, and accountability and ethics in the government. With the Republicans, Ron DeSantis handily took the candidacy with 56.5% of the Republican vote and Putnam trailing behind with 36.5%. Ron DeSantis is a congressman who received avid support from President Trump over the past few weeks and certainly echoed the president in his victory speech. Congressman DeSantis spoke on his military record, his work in Congress, and then went on to list the conservative successes of the Trump administration. He discussed education, bringing jobs to Florida, and the environment. Gillum echoed Bernie's words, and DeSantis echoed Trump's mannerisms, adopting several of the speech patterns and hand movements that the president does in campaign speeches. Then, 
The campaign truly kicked off on Wednesday, when Ron DeSantis went on to Fox News and said Gillum as governor would just, quote, monkey this up, unquote. He received harsh criticism for the racism of this statement, with critics calling the interview dog whistle politics. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before and are unsure of its meaning, just like myself. In politics, it has a very specific meaning, in which it is something that one group hears a certain way and another group a different way, much like only a dog can hear a physical dog whistle. Dog whistle politics is usually a politician speaking to a white audience and saying something with racist connotations or something just straight up racist in order to elicit a response. Many consider Donald Trump's campaign slogan, Make America Great Again, to be a dog whistle phrase. With Gillum being black, it's unfortunately likely that we'll hear lots of dog whistle political phrases in the coming months. It's going to get interesting, as the two candidates are reflective of those two famous aforementioned political figures, Sanders and Trump. Many political analysts are saying our gubernatorial race is the one to watch, as these two clashing ideologies will likely be a litmus test for our country going forward. The NPR Politics podcast reported that there were nearly 100,000 more Republican voters than Democrats. They failed to mention, however, the nearly third of registered Floridian voters who didn't vote for governor on Tuesday as we have closed primaries in Florida. Their swing vote is what the two candidates will be fighting over in the coming months. As things heat up more than usual around here, you'll likely be seeing a lot more national coverage of our state in the next few months. So, be on your best behavior, Floridians. We're in the spotlight now. Alright, on to our featured story. A few months ago, I became deeply invested in the story of a mobile home park on the shore of Lake Eustis that was facing destruction in favor of building a new townhome development. The feature in the Orlando Sentinel focused on a woman named Linda Libby, who was a retired hospital worker that would be completely displaced from her home if the construction went through. In reference to the nearly 40 people who lived in her mobile home park being displaced, Libby said, quote, There are people here living on $350 a month from their social security checks. Where are they going to go? Unquote. The Orlando Sentinel reports that there are 119 mobile homes in this park, with 35 of those occupied year-round. The rest are either abandoned or used by snowbirds in their season, which is usually the winter months of the year. This particular story, however, has a happy ending. On Monday, the Orlando Sentinel reported that the buyer on the property canceled the deal, and the mobile homes will stay intact on the shores of Lake Eustis. The story opened a conversation for me on the problems facing the aging population in Florida. We have so many aging and elderly citizens in the state. How? Why? Why are there so many of them? And why are we able to properly take care of them? Well, Florida has the highest percentage of any state of senior citizens. The highest number population-wise is actually in California, but according to the Florida Department of Elder Affairs in a report from 2016, just over a quarter of our population is over 60. That's more than any other state in the country. Of the nearly 4 million of those who are over the age of 65, almost a quarter of them are medically underserved. That means they're living in medically underserved areas, which are defined by the Health Resources and Service Administration as, quote, having too few primary care providers high infant mortality, high poverty, or a high elderly population. The Palm Beach Post reports that by 2030, we will likely have double the current amount of elderly citizens in the state, approaching 10 million. Why? Why did the elderly come to our state in such large numbers? Well, the obvious answer is our image. We have an image as a haven for the elderly, particularly the elderly with money, and it's a paradise with warm weather and golden beaches and lush golf courses. 
I mean, Jimmy Buffett sang so many songs about the place, so it's got to be the best, right? Right. This started way back in 1915 when the Dixie Highway Association, along with the state government, decided to design and invest in the first highways that would connect into the great state of Florida. This created ways for automobile tourists to reach the lush nature of the Sunshine State, and the businesses started to bank on this. By the time World War II was over, amusement parks and tourist traps started springing up all over the place. But it's more than just the tourist traps. People were camping on the beaches and in our woods and in our state parks. People were going down to Miami and swimming in booming resorts with beautiful pools, and those were such a luxury at the time. Yet the majority of the people were participating in what was called tin can tourism, which was named for the trailers that attached to cars that would travel into the state. They started staying in these large campgrounds with their trailers, and then people started putting down roots. And they started putting down roots using mobile homes. Mobile homes are cheap and simple, and most importantly, they could be moved. They also became easy housing for workers as companies started flourishing in the state, especially as the space race started to pick up and Cape Canaveral became a hub of such progress. They needed to build a city and they needed workers to work in Cape Canaveral. So enter mobile homes. Then retirement communities made entirely of mobile homes started becoming cheap and easy ways for aging folks to live in a beautiful destination. Eventually, more of the people who came to visit started staying. Instead of going home to their snow-covered homes in New York and Illinois and Pennsylvania, they stayed in our little peninsula. And if they didn't stay when they visited, they waited until they retired, and then they came. So that's how this all began. That's how our image got started. Since then, the money that has been brought equates to nearly $3,000 per person a year, according to a study from the University of Florida. The problem then becomes what it always becomes, funding. Despite the fact that the aging population pushes that much money into the economy, they also need more in terms of care. Governor Scott has increased money for elder support by 4% on average every year since he became governor. This money is used to help the elderly stay in their homes instead of living in assisted living facilities, as many can't afford that. These state-funded programs help the aging community by funding programs such as the Community Care for the Elderly program. There's a problem, however, with programs like this. Wait lists. There are simply too many seniors. In 2014, the wait list reached historic highs with 55,000 seniors on the list. This problem doesn't end with in-home care. The bigger problem with the elderly comes with health care, and you can't talk about health care with the elderly without talking about Medicare. Medicare is a federal government program that funds health care for a few groups, but mostly the over 65 population. Many in the past few years have attacked current Governor Rick Scott over a quote-unquote Medicare fraud. This is a key conversation in the Senate race this year, as the Democrats are generally running on a campaign of increased funding toward welfare programs like Medicare. And pointing fingers at a Republican candidate who not only took money from Medicare, but also theoretically was taking that money for personal gain? That spells trouble for Governor Scott. The story goes that Scott, who was the CEO of a company called Columbia in the late 80s and 90s, used the company to overcharge or misdiagnose patients in order to receive extra money from the Medicare program. They also used this to get more reimbursements towards the hospital that the company owned. 
According to PolitiFact, Scott's former company paid, quote, $840 million in criminal fines, civil damages, and penalties. Other sites list that number at $1.7 billion. Rick Scott had resigned from the position as CEO of that company three years previous. This was all before he was governor. You're going to hear a lot about how Rick Scott, quote unquote, robbed Medicare from Scott's opponent, Senator Bill Nelson. This is the incident they're referring to, and they'll be using it constantly. When it comes to health care in general, however, Rick Scott's administration has left Florida 45th in the nation with the sheer amount of uninsured people in the state. We currently have 13.3% of our population uninsured. That's down from 20%, which was the number before the Affordable Care Act was instituted. As for the gubernatorial race, DeSantis and Gillum have been facing conversations related to Medicare already. There isn't much related to DeSantis' voting record in Congress related to Medicare, though he was part of a group in 2015 that voted to raise the Social Security age to 70 and the Medicare age to 67, which would have reduced the amount of people receiving the funding and keeping that money to be spent other places. In addition, in 2012, when he was initially running for Congress, one of his talking points was to repeal the Affordable Care Act in order to protect Medicare, saying that the money that should be going to Medicare was being taken and used to support ACA. In his race, though, he will likely continue to fall in line with Trump's stances like he does in most everything else, which boils down to less government spending, citing budget concerns as the essential reason. Gillum, on the other hand, is echoing a progressive talking point advocating for Medicare for All, and that's All, with a capital A, as that is the name of the plan first proposed by Senator Sanders. This has become a common speaking point for the Democratic candidates in 2018, and Gillum is using that plan as a facet of his campaign as well. This could play well in Florida, with so many elderly persons in the state, though it may not play well with the wealthier swing voters. Healthcare is complicated, and in my opinion, candidates want you to be confused about what exactly they're talking about. Those on the right will want you to think of Gillum as a communist who wants to take your money. Those on the left will want you to think of DeSantis as a petty thief who wants to steal your grandma's healthcare. It's important we all talk about a very specific thing in these healthcare conversations. A plan. The result for DeSantis is to repeal or shrink insurance. The result for Gillum is Medicare for all. Okay. So, what's the plan? They're both long on ends and short on means. All that to say this. In 2017, Florida was ranked 46th by the AARP for below average standards in long-term care. This is because, in 2011, the year after Rick Scott was elected, the state legislature voted to stop using not-for-profit local organizations for this in-home care. Instead, they switched to using for-profit large insurance company programs. Our standards have fallen since then. I'll be honest with you. I've spent the past few days researching this and it's so complicated that your mind starts to warp. I wish I could tell you more. I wish I had a better answer for you. I don't. I'll tell you the numbers. I'll tell you what I read. I can offer my opinion on the politics of it, but in the end, there's still not an answer. From my perspective, the people making money off of it all prefer it that way. Next week on Wait 5 Minutes, I'll be taking a brief break from politics. We'll be talking about my favorite local animal, the Florida black bear. Obviously, I'll get into the news, but I think an adventure into the Ocala National Forest will be a nice reprieve from the long days ahead. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing or consider leaving a review on iTunes. And more importantly, please consider sharing this with a friend. We are living in a time right now where you should be able to support the thing that you believe in with numbers, with facts. Yeah, everybody's going to listen to what you have to say about politics, but you can really convince someone to understand what you believe in and what you stand for if you can back it up. So have the numbers. I want, I, I want to be a part of that conversation with you. There is such a great energy right now in politics, especially with young people, and knowing as much as possible, I mean, that's the game, right? All right, I'll get rid of my soapbox. If you have a question for me or have a topic about Florida you want to learn more about, you can email me at wait5minutespodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. My theme song is Good Thoughts by Lobo Loco. All the websites and articles used in the research can be found in the episode description below. Thank you again for listening. Be good to yourselves, be good to each other, drink more water, and a new one for this week. Delete the Twitter app from your phone. You'll be glad you did. Have a good one. Thank mm-hmm. you.